0: Well, good morning, everyone. Let's all gather in. I see we're tending towards the aisles in the back, so just in case you don't like it, you can run out screaming. Wouldn't be the first time. Well, welcome. Um, several years ago under David Moore, uh, about like maybe eight or nine years ago, there was a conceptualization of starting what we call Foursquare Scholars. It's for people that um, maybe want to think at the next level. They've studied, they want to think deeper. And so we established this um, and formed what we call an executive committee. We're also actually a group that you can join uh, called Foursquare Scholars Fellowship. And so, but we also have a session every year at uh, at convention slash uh, connection where we, if you will, talk and think in a little bit deeper level of, of trying to ask questions or depending on what the subject matter is. And, and that's what we're doing today. So you don't have to be a member to be a part, but we'd like to encourage you to be a member. So we put at every chair, there's a, f- a flyer that explains who we are and If we could get someone to just distribute this around the room, uh, if you could do that for us. I've got a sign-in sheet, if you could just sign in so we know that you were here. And um, that way we can put you on our newsletter for anything that we're doing. And so that's kind of just a quick introduction. If you want to know more about us, um, you can go to FoursquareScholars.org. FoursquareScholars.org. And uh, we have a membership page there where you can sign up the memberships, $40 a year. To be a member, you have to have an advanced uh, degree, so a master's degree or above, to be a full member. You can be an associate member with something less. So or, or, or you can be a student. We also have student memberships for... Uh, for our group, and the reason for that is that a lot of schools offer tenure to teachers if they're a part of scholarly organizations, so we have to have standards that meet those criteria for professional educators in different colleges and universities. Um, The second thing that we do is we're publishing a journal, and so we've now had two editions out, and we're working on our third, And I believe I I have a copy here. If anyone wants to join today, I have a free copy I brought uh, with me. It's called Quadrum, which is uh, Latin for four square. So how cool is that? So that's why we call it Quadrum. And our first edition was on women in ministry leadership. And now this is being promoted as uh, part of the four square packet relating to uh, women in ministry leadership. And so if any of you have have known environments where there are people who fight against women in in ministry leadership for biblical reasons, we've created scholarly, solid biblical answers that contend that actually women in ministry is contended for in the scriptures. And we've tackled some of those hard passages that seem to exclude women, why they're there, and, and so some ammunition. Here's where you can go. You can get the journal, online by going to fourscorescholars.org, and it's one of the tabs, Quadrum, and all our journals are published there. So those are available, we're also working towards having every edition also published uh, in a hard copy. Uh, before we move on, is there any questions you might have relating to the scholars? I'm sure we can figure something out. We're you know, like, this is, we have just finished with our second edition. And it takes three years of publishing before we can even get listed in the search engines. They won't put you in until you've been there for three years. I guess there's a lot of dropout after a couple issues. And so we're working towards that. We've actually, I believe it's on our sheet here, we've got uh, all the journal editions. We, we, what we really need is submissions. So if you're scholarly and you write and think on a deeper level, please submit to us. Now, our journal is double blind review, which means we send it out to two separate scholars that are in the field that you're writing in and ask them to review it. And if they, uh, they have to have two positives, if we have one positive and one negative, then, the, then our editor and our committee makes the final decision on that but it has to pass a blind review to be able to be received scholarly. Now, Jeremy is our editor of our journal. Before we move on, does anything you want to share relating to our journal?
1: Submit to it. (laughs) That sounds great to me. No, we, we know that God has gifted and anointed scholars in our family, and... We need our scholars to produce work and to send it our way so that we can um, not only walk in our calling, but build up our family and do it to the glory of God. So uh, I just encourage you if you're, you know, you're a pastor and yet scholarly minded or you are just, you know that you love uh, scholarship, we want to encourage you. We're not just looking for academicians, we're looking for practitioners and those that have dedicated their their mind and their heart to the service of God. So please submit. Yeah. Um, we have themes that each uh, volume issue focuses on, but we're looking for scholarship outside of the, the particular themes that we emphasize. So it is completely wide open. Whatever your area of specialty is, um, we want t- to see pieces submitted in that field, okay? So we're not just looking for Old Testament, New Testament missions, you know, the traditional. We're looking for interdisciplinary submissions, so leadership studies, and I'd love to see, you know, what it means to be a spirit-filled chemist, you know, <laughs> or something like that, or, or uh, looking at uh, social work from a foursquare perspective, you know, whatever it would be. Uh, in, in any discipline we'd love to see that because we know that Foursquare has a unique place in the body of Christ and our approach to, to life and ministry is unique and we want to highlight that in, uh, in many ways but especially within Quadrum so yeah just produce work and consider Quadrum and send articles our way we want to we see your work and showcase it so thank you
0: The last thing I would add to that is that we are looking for international submissions. So any from our international community you're invited to be a part, as well as, um, uh, as he said, across the board. And while we have on our editions what each journal our, our topic is on, we'll take submissions beyond our topic. Topic, the on topic submissions take priority. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Doug, who's going to moderate the rest of our time.
2: Hi, uh, I'm uh, the moderator. Th- if you don't know where you are right now, you are in the middle of some sort of biosphere with a bunch of plants around, and you've been spending a week in this whole biosphere, and you it's kind of an odd place. You're also in Nashville, and you're in a convention center. But even more importantly right now, you're here at the scholarly reflections on Jesus the healer and I have you have to pray for me because the miracle that I have to do is we have four presenters here uh, scholars presenting and I have to keep them on time and that's four and with questions as well and but we if you notice we have some music in the other room because healings don't take place unless there's music so music is going on as well so we'll we'll learn about these things as well but first I want to uh, just quickly oh yeah we'll also have cards if you have questions that you want to do and we'll pass those out as well they're on all chairs so you can uh, do those after the presentations you can pass in those cards but I want to get right started here with a quick prayer a really quick prayer so if you could just pray with me you can close your eyes or open your eyes it doesn't matter Holy Spirit come we welcome your presence we welcome your healing presence Holy Spirit come We welcome you. Welcome the presence of the Lord. God can work in a workshop. He can work in a seminar. We welcome your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence. We pray that you would anoint our presenters. We pray that you would help us to hear you. We pray that you would help us to hear you, to welcome your presence. We welcome you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our first presenter, Clayton Robinson, he is the chairperson of the Foursquare Scholars Fellowship. He has a D-man and a Ph.D., with a New Testament emphasis at Life Pacific uh, University since 1985, as well as Vanguard University and numerous other Bible colleges and ministry schools. He serves on the ICFG Board of Directors. Uh, He serves on the Doctrine Committee with me, and uh, he's in the Southwest District Council. He also pastors uh, Connection Church in Lake Forest, California. Would you please welcome Clayton Robinson?
0: Thank you. I think that we need to realize that scholarship can't, we can't um, put scholars on one level and pastors on another. What we want is our pastors to be informed. And yet, as a pastor, we need to think deeper so that we can take our people further and deeper. And so it, it's not either or, it should be both and. And so I'm really excited to see how many are here today for that. Now, uh, I have uh, 10 to 12 minutes for my sharing, and I wanted to write this great, big, deep paper, and I realized there's not a lot you can say. So I want to focus on the thought, scholarly reflections on Jesus the healer, and, and just like several observations, or we have some notes provided for you. The first observation is that um, we have no record of Jesus do- performing any kind of miracle before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He just seemed to be a normal guy, uh, doing normal things in life, until he was baptized with the Holy Spirit at about the age of 30. He was immediately driven out into the uh, desert to be tempted, and when he came back, Luke says he came back in the power of the Spirit. Immediately after that, he begins to preach and to perform miracles and healings and deliverances. I mean, it's an immediate change from before he was filled with the Spirit and after his Filled the spirit. He wasn't a different person, but he was differently empowered because of the Spirit in his life. Uh, key for me is you come to a passage where it says that um, in Luke 5.17, there's this interesting observation. It says, uh, it talks about Jesus performing all these healings, and then it says, For the power of the Lord was present for him to heal. It's just an odd phrase. I mean, when I think of Jesus, I think of, of course, The power of God was always available for him to heal. So why say something that's so obvious? But the power of the Lord was present for him to heal. Now, the the first thing that comes to my mind is when you hear the phrase, the power of the Lord was present to heal, is the negative of that. That means sometimes the power of the Lord wasn't there to heal. And we know one time that, that Jesus went about it says he could not do many miracles because of the lack of their faith. We, we know that. And I've been kind of contemplating, I, how do you document that the power isn't present? And, and actually in my devotions um, this last week, I uh, found an interesting passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And let's see if I can find this here. In chapter 3, verse 8, and Jesus is talking to his churches, and he says, uh, Behold, I know that you have only a little bit of power, but you keep to my word. That's an interesting phrase. Jesus is commending a church, and he, he commends them because even though they only have a little bit of power, dunamis, they still hold to their faith. Well, here you have Jesus now with the presence of God's power, his dunamis. It was present to heal. And then he commends a church that they hold on even when there's just a little bit of power. Which means in the New Testament, it's acceptable for churches to have seasons when only a little bit of, fa- of little power is manifesting itself. And yet you have Jesus with this great amount of power to proceed. That that created in me a fascination, and if you will, my reflection on that is that, therefore, power isn't automatic because we contain the Holy Spirit. Power comes when we cultivate the release of the Holy Spirit. So that we have to contend for power. We have to contend for spiritual release in power. The second thing, I'm a Greek scholar, and I was doing some research, and for years before I studied Greek, I'd always had these great teachings, and maybe you have some on the difference between, you know, miracles and healing, and a healing is this and a miracle is that. And I had this wonderful definition. So I finally decided to look up the word miracle in the Greek, and I came to an interesting observation. There is no word for miracle in Greek. The only word that is in Greek is the word dunamis, Power. And so when we translate, when it says signs and wonders and miracles, it's signs and wonders and dunamis and power. Which means what we consider a miracle is there's something of the power of God that comes down in such a way that it manifests itself so that something is fundamentally different than it was before that happened. And that manifestation of power that changes something, we have to put a term on it. And we have a word in English. We put the term on it, miracle. But lose your English understanding of whatever you thought a miracle is. And a miracle is simply the power of God that has manifested itself in a way that has, ch- has touched and changed something. So if the power of God has stopped the storm, that's a miracle. If the power of God has healed the lame, that's a miracle And in that definition. Every time if if we're counseling with someone and we rebuke a spirit of darkness that that goes from them or we just counsel them and we see the Holy Spirit come upon their lives and deliver them from some from fear or brokenness in their lives, that's a miracle. You can't define what a miracle is other than it's the power of God that has manifested and left itself in something that's changed. And so we, if, if we want to see a something deeper in God's presence, something deeper in healing, it's probably not about teaching more principles of the right ways or the wrong ways to do healing. It's probably something more like cultivating the presence of the Lord in such a power in our lives that through that presence and that power, something is left changed, is left different. That we can put our, our, our finger on and say, that is a miracle. Now, the, the next thing, the final thing is, is in the New Testament, the most common way of seeing a healing, or for that matter, a, he, a, a miracle, is through the laying on of hands. I happened to write my dissertation a few years ago on the laying on of hands. And I looked through everything in the scripture from cover to cover and actually all known literature on the laying on of hands, all ancient literature. And so I kind of know that field a little bit. And as we looked at it, we asked the question, why do we lay our hands on things? And an observation, about one-third of the times that Jesus healed, he just spoke a word. Didn't touch nothing, just spoke a word. About one-third of the time Jesus healed, he touched them in some way. Whether it was an official laying on of hands or just a casual touch, like Peter's mother-in-law where he took her by the hand. But there was some kind of a physical touch. And about one-third of the time, Jesus said a word and touched. So two-thirds of the healings were with some kind of a touch, either with a word or without a word, only one-third of the times was there no touch involved. This is with Jesus. On three occasions, someone was healed or delivered who wasn't there. On only three occasions. And on all three of those occasions, they were not Jewish. The only one who had faith to touch God's power, not in the presence of Jesus himself, were people who were not Jewish. Uh, You can chew on that one. No Jew ever had that faith, which made me think within the within our world, we might see that there is a release of faith and power. That's greater from those who are not in the church than those in the church. But I would dare say that those within a Christian community or within at least a broader Christian community are so used to the church and what that looks like that if they don't have that physical touch. And God tends to touch meet us at the point of our faith, not at the point of his faith. What he can do is different than what we can believe him for. And he he meets us where our faith is. So therefore, we've got to cultivate his power. And the last thing I want to say about the laying on of hands is why a laying on of hands? We, we know it's not necessary, so why is it? It's because if God was here himself, we could believe if God himself would come up and touch us. If Jesus was in this room, a line would immediately form. Because all of us who've been struggling with things and b- battling and believing for healing, if Jesus was here and we thought he could touch us, We would immediately get in line because this would be the day I get healed. Is it possible that touch is the hand of God? If Jesus is in us through the Holy Spirit, then the laying on of hands is a way that I don't have the power to heal, but God's power resides in me through the Holy Spirit. And as I touch them, I'm releasing as if God himself were touching and the, the final observation of that comes in Acts. On the second filling, where they were refilled, if you will, and they filled the house, they prayed this prayer. They said, Lord, would you come down? And would you lay your hands? And would you heal this community? And it says after that, then great power and miracles came out as the Lord did these miracles. It's as if they said, God, Would you bring your hand and do that? But he sent them out so that their hands became his hands. And with that, I'll turn it over.
2: Thank you, Clayton. You can clap. That's a miracle. You were under time. Anybody's been on committee meetings with Clayton? That's a miracle. Praise (laughs) God. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay, hey, we're going to move right on. Um, We have Theo, could you come up and I'll introduce you? Um, Theo Nyogam is the national leader for the Foursquare Churches of New Zealand. Um, He is about to complete his uh, Masters of Arts in uh, Strategic Leadership at Life Pacific University. Uh, Part of his testimony is he left Sri Lanka for New Zealand in 2001 with his wife and three kids based on a prophetic leading. Uh, He started a home group and eventually founded the first Foursquare Church in New Zealand. He is the senior pastor of All Nations City Church. Would you please welcome Theo Nyagam?
3: Thank you. Basically, what I'm going to talk today is just about my testimony and what God did in my life. So um, I'll... Share about four things which uh, you and I can reflect on, which is important for us when we want healing in ourselves and and the first thing that we need to uh, really have in our lives is is faith that we talked about so faith has to be the foundation. And then second is confession. We need to always confess about what is going to happen, need to thank the Lord for what's going to happen. And the third is proclamation. Fourth is that we need to truly hear God. And that is very vital for our healing. And number five is when we hear His call, we need to be obedient to that call. These are so important in our healing process. Now, uh, the Bible verse that we need to reflect on is this. Each of us have healing for different purposes. And I'm going to talk about one purpose which is there in the Bible and which comes from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, which goes like this. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The works of God to be revealed in him. So, I was, uh, as I moved from uh, Sri Lanka with a prophecy, the man who prophesied said he was going into a country with, four stars on the flag and he also said that the country is volcanic and so on but he really did not know what the country was. Very prophetic and as you know that New Zealand has two islands and it has four stars on the flag. And uh, when we applied and uh, when uh, when we saw the letterhead we saw four stars on the flag and my wife showed it to me and she smiled and we knew that God was calling us into New Zealand. But Little that I realized that no sooner that was uh, made known to us, my wife started praying for my asthma because I was a born asthmatic. I had been to many meetings. My parents would take me for meetings, and I would put my hand up, and they would lay lay the hands on me, and they would pray for me. But I was never healed. And uh, we moved to uh, New Zealand now, and we have uh, moved into this new home, and. uh, I had asthma and I had to uh, be uh, taken to hospital and I was treated and they were, they gave me an inhaler which I used to carry. Now when I started my testimony I said there were a few things that we need to always proclaim and to say. I used to take this inhaler and I, I used to say. For healing me, thank you, Lord, for healing me. I had this inhaler, but I, I, I used to proclaim and say, "Lord, for healing me." And this, went on. and one particular day, I went on for my run, uh, probably around six, a.m. it was winter, very cold, and I was about to take an inhaler. And the Lord specifically spoke to me and said, Theo, you don't take the inhaler. And that's why I said it's so important for us to hear God's voice to know whether God is speaking or not or somebody else is speaking. And here I heard the Lord speaking and said, Theo, don't take the inhaler. And I know how difficult and challenging it is when you don't take an inhaler and when you're going on a course like that, you can really suffer. And I had that experience before. And this is where I said the important thing is that we need to have faith. This is one thing we you know, need to have that is a substance that we do not see that we hope for. And then when we had that foundation that I believed and I saw and I knew that God was going to heal me and I did not take the inhaler and when I went it was a 7 kilometer run the first few uh, meters I ran slowly because I was fearful but I was obedient And then when I finished the run, I had no asthma. God had completely healed me. Now it's 18 years. 18 years I don't have asthma. So five things, remember, so important to hear God's voice to know. And when we hear and when we proclaim, we know that we can glorify the Lord for what He has made you for. Thank you very much.
2: Amen. Just so you don't think I'm playing favorites, the last three have five minutes and Clayton had 12. So there's not, just so you know that. Okay. So uh, Andy, can you come up? Andy Obi's a good friend. Uh, Andy, come back here. Where do I have to go? Here, I'm sorry, I didn't <laughs> lead you. My bad. You want to be behind the podium or up here? Wherever. Why don't you come to the front here, come with me. A good friend that I didn't lead up next to me, I'm sorry. Yeah Andy served for six years with FMI in Bangkok, uh, doing leadership, training, evangelism, church planning and much more. Uh, currently, Andy is working on his Ph.D um, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. He is exploring the role of weakness in the gospel, witnessing person through the witness of Paul. Um, he also teaches adjunct at Life Pacific. Would you please welcome Andy Opie?
4: <laughs> well, I will be brief and uh, throw a curveball at us, and I, I hesitate to use American idioms, but I w- we'll take a, a turn and talk about divine power, but when healing doesn't happen. So is there not divine power? just because healing didn't happen. Um, and I wrote some articulate notes down that you can look at that I can't remember. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what does it mean What does it mean to have weakness? Uh, the, the word in Greek, I, I can't say it, asenia, something like that, but uh, asenia. And what does it mean to have weakness? What does it mean to have humanness or finitude in the context of healing and the gospel and the power of God? um, so I've been 22 years, well, let's go, start back further. I am foursquare, since 1984, baptized 1985, baptized in the Holy Spirit 1989, I am foursquare, which includes Jesus the healer, I do, do not hesitate on that one, I am a believer in Jesus the healer, I am still 22 years of being blind, <coughs> lost my eyesight at the age of 20, so, but I want to reflect on Paul, who also reflects on Jesus, um, so we don't move away from Jesus. Paul and Jesus are connected through the gospel. But Paul in Second Corinthians four, verse seven, has this powerful metaphor about jars of clay, or I like the other way of saying, it, er, cracked earthen vessels. Th- that were this picture from Qumran, that as many places, but Qumran, they were cracked earthen vessels that held. The Dead Sea Scrolls, the most precious material that they had were held in these cracked earthen vessels. The word of God, the gospel, was there. The gospel of Isaiah, anyway. The gospel was there. These cracked earthen vessels. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in cracked earthen vessels for the purpose, or that the, I like NRSV, the extraordinary, I don't know what kind of power that is, but it's extraordinary, power would be seen. The power of God would be seen. Not just power, the power of God. I don't know what that treasure is. I don't know if he's talking about the inspired word of God. I don't know if he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if he's talking about the gospel. But he's talking about something, and he carries it on throughout the whole letter. But 2 Corinthians 12, he really articulates it. He says, I cried out, verse 7, I cried out for this this thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what that is, but it could be related to the stake or the nails in the cross that Jesus bore. In chapter 13, 4, Jesus crucified in weakness. But he says, I had this three times, and I think it was more than three times, but (laughs) as one who is also uh, cried out many times. And I identify with Paul's thorn being blindness, even though others will argue it wasn't. But why did he go to Galatians and say I was weak and so on? Why did he, why did he go around writing in big letters? Why did uh, he dictate what he wrote to other people? Why did he travel with companions? I mean, I don't like tra- flying to, to Thailand alone. I, I <laughs> would rather go with somebody so I can identify with Paul's blindness if that's what it was. But maybe he was the first blind uh, missionary, first blind theologian. I don't know. But he was a theologian of weakness a missionary of weakness, they, uh, they said it in Corinthians, oh, he looks weak, he speaks weak, he doesn't take our money, he's poor, we can't even follow a poor leader, <laughs> what, he, he was weak in appearance, and he says, but I prayed that that would be taken away, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient, my power is perfected in weakness. What is the gospel if it is not my grace is sufficient? My power is perfected in weakness. And it goes on in weaknesses. I will glory in my weaknesses that the power of God would rest or tabernacle on me. And I will be content in weaknesses and so on and so on and so on. on. That whenever I am weak, I am strong. And I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Whenever I am weak, God is strong. Whenever I am weak, the gospel is strong. So I have other questions. What does it mean to be healed? What does it mean to have a perfected body? I don't even know what that means. What does it mean that Jesus was raised from the dead and has scars in his hands? And there's some footnotes. To Francis Young from Birmingham, Emeritus, Professor Emeritus, Brokenness and Blessing, and it's an apathetic theology discussion on humanness. Because before mod- modernity, we didn't have all this struggle with weakness and creatureliness and limitations. But now we do and and then Amos Young Bible disability in the church and the BBC not a christian article but came out a couple weeks ago titled stop trying to heal me mm. what does that mean so there's stuff for us to chew on you can take it home and read it later
2: thank you Andy Last but not least, and they left you time, we have uh, Becca Hald. Becca is an associate pastor at Shepherd's House Church in Thousand Oaks, California. She received her MDiv from the King's University in 2015. Becca has served in various leadership roles for more than 20 years in the church and outside the church. Her great passion is equipping others and raising awareness about mental health issues. In fact, she's currently working on a book about mental health and pester her to get that book done, especially how <laughs> the Bible. The put it out there so that know yeah, hold her <laughs> accountable for that, uh, how the Bible talks about uh, mental health because that is needed. Would you please welcome Becca Hald?
5: Thank you. My favorite Bible verse is Philippians 3.14, which is I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is the goal of my life, and that no matter what obstacle I face, I press on. God gave me this verse when I was in high school, and I had no idea the extent to which that goal and that press on would life. Hello? Okay. Um but the surrounding context reminds me that I am still a work in progress, and no matter what, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I suffer from chronic migraines, From I've had suicidal depression, and I have a rare neurological disorder called intracranial hypertension, and Gold Star, if you've ever heard of that. Um, basically, it's all in my head, that's what I like to say. <laughs> the Japanese have an art that's known as Kinzuki. Can, and it's the art of broken pieces. And as Andy referenced, we are uh, vessels, earthen vessels. And I love this. It is they, they say that the brokenness is not something to be disguised or hidden. And so what they do is when something breaks, they repair it with a lacquer that is with um, gold or silver or titanium in it. And they think that the final project is something more beautiful than the original piece. And I think that's what God does with us is he takes us as broken vessels and he fills in those cracks and he shines his presence through in such an incredible way. And I have begged and pleaded God over the years for healing. It's not fun to live with migraines to the extent that I do. And I have had people pray over me over and over and over again. And um, as uh, I used to say that I would not wish my pain or the things that I have struggled with on anyone. But over the years, God has spoken to me, and I have learned that it is my pain, it is my struggles that make me who I am today. And without them, I would not be the woman that I am today. And what I've learned is that my disability keeps me dependent upon God. I would rather live every day of my life with a migraine, and if you've ever had one, you know what it means to say that, but i would rather live every day with a migraine than to ever think that i could do this life for 1 second on my own independent of god and what i have found in living with disability and and as as andy said and as paul jesus said to paul my grace is sufficient for you and god has been my grace and my sufficiency and i can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and they they said how how do you do it how do you do what you do i have been president of the PTA and you know did a master's while my kids were in elementary school how do you do that and I said God's grace and and it becomes a testimony that my disability has become a testimony and has become my story to share and it has I've seen incredible responses to that and um, so, so how, how do I, I, I live with disability well I think the reality is that We all live with disability. If you look at the dictionary definition of disability, it says a lack of adequate power, strength, physical, or mental condition, or mental ability. That's kind of the human condition. God has created us disabled apart from him. We are unable to do anything apart from him. And it is our daily dependence upon God that allows us to make it through the day. And honestly, having been through suicidal depression, I have no idea how anybody makes it through apart from God. Having been through the migraines, there are days where it is only by God's grace that I get out of bed this morning, or out of bed in the morning. I mean, even in the last couple of days, I travel typically leaves me with a migraine. And even many of the times when I was sitting here working on my presentation, I'm sitting there with a migraine or with a pressure headache and saying, okay, God, I need your grace. I need you to speak through me because I can't do this on my own. And so I rejoice and I pray and I give thanks for what God has done with me because it is, it is something that allows me to focus on him and keep my, my perspective. And I used to worry um, with the intracranial hypertension. I had brain surgery in 2005. And I went years thinking not when, not if, but when am I going to have brain surgery again? But worrying doesn't help. Worrying does nothing. And so when I rest in Jesus and I say, God, you are my source, then I don't have to worry anymore. And when I praise God and when I thank God and when I rejoice in my weakness because I know that his strength is, my, is what gets me through, that's what ha- helps me make it through the day. And then finally, I just want to say that I rely on support and encouragement from my family and friends. Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens, and that's what my friends do for me and my family does for me. And so the days when I can't do anything or when I am laid out or when I can't form a coherent sentence and I tell my family that I am not braining today and they laugh at me <laughs> and that has happened, um, they help me take not take myself too seriously and they help me to see the positive in life. And Pastor Jack Hayford said in Rebuilding the Real You that God's promise is certain. The completion may not be today, but his promise is his guarantee. And I know that I have not received my healing yet, but I stand in faith that whether it is in this life or when I get to heaven, he will heal me. And in the meantime, he is my strength.
2: Uh, Could you do a couple of things? One, uh, uh, if you have questions, could you pass them to the inside of the aisle and I'll pick those up. You have cards you can write questions on just because we have a big room. I'm going to start off with a couple questions and then if you could write your questions down and then I'll go through a few of those and then maybe we'll open them up to people also talking uh, just because we have a big room here. Uh, But first, I'll start off with a question for you. Theo, can you please come up? I didn't give you a chair. Um, so a first question here is, and by the way, thanks for sharing, y- you know, when we talk about healing and a the theology of healing, and then we also talk about experience, this is where experience and theology come right together, and it's also where people can be profoundly hurt by the church, right? And so even in this room, uh, scholarly conversations, we can talk about questions we have, and so it should be a safe environment, but also it's an, an environment where we honor the fact that people are in process, That pe- and I think it's pretty exciting that we talked about miracles, we also talked about sickness and the complexities of that, so we would honor that in our questions as well. Uh, but with that, the first question I think would be this issue is there, are, there do seem to be principles, there's patterns, even as you t- looked at, Clayton, of how healings occurred. How do we preach on or teach on healing but not turn it into a formula?
0: Well, for me, I think the first step was in Acts chapter 1-8. It's A passage we know we've taught on since at least for me since I was a little kid I've heard this all my life Um, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you as Pentecostals we've changed the verse without knowing that we've changed that but you shall receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and all we ask for people to do is to speak in tongues And when we're praying for them, we don't pray for them to receive power, we pray for them to receive tongues, sometimes cheapening to the process to just just say with me. Just get the mouth moving, that somehow or another my lips are stammering, I've received the fullness of what God promised. He never promised us tongues. Tongues was the outflow, unexpectedly. The promise was power. So if we if we would instead Encourage the power of God into our things. That's what Jesus did through prayer. Contend for the power of God so that we're not focusing on the healing but on the power of God and wait to see what the power of God will do. When it comes, it often does unexpected things and the byproduct that is all kinds of healings you weren't even praying for or expecting.
3: Andy, else?
4: Oh, sure. you, you mentioned my name, so I'll answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I wrestle with this because I've been prayed for a lot, and I'm never shy to ask for prayer, but how do we teach it? And I'm very hesitant to, to teach it because we make it into Jesus the magician. Um, let's m- wave the magic wand. Even though we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, but if it doesn't fit into our four squares, we don't have room for it. And so how do we teach I don't feel like I have any incredible faith. But I pray for people, and I'm almost, a friend of mine <laughs> said it better than I do, he's almost more surprised than anyone when somebody gets healed. But I, I, I pray for people, I believe that God's there. Sometimes I really believe God's there, and doing something, and nothing happens. And other times, I'd believe God's there, and he does something. But if we, if we boil it down to my experience rewriting my theology, or my experience writing my theology, because I saw somebody healed, um, we want to contend for the presence of God. And, and, and it's what I love about what, what Theo was saying, my experience in, in Sri Lanka for a, a meeting in the Eastern Council of Four Square Churches. They spent two weeks before their convention in prayer and fasting. Wow. Not, not their convention, a, a gathering of leaders from around Asia and South Pacific. Two weeks the Sri Lanka church spent in prayer and fasting. I walked into worship and was confronted with the presence and power of God. It didn't matter what anybody said. I was moved for the week. Um, And we can can lose that cultivation when we do other things. Uh, I'm going on too long. If we create excellence as an idol, we no longer contend for the power and presence of God. Well,
2: maybe Theo, could you add to that? You mentioned something that stuck out to me is the idea of uh, hearing God, and then making that step. That seems to be beyond the formula idea. Of m- you really mentioned that? Can you, can
3: you explain that? See, one of the keys for healing is that to hear God, and uh, most oftentimes, uh, uh, see, if you take for uh, instance for prophecy and all kinds of things all are involved with hearing God. So the most important thing is your connection to God and your spending time with the Lord. Early hours of the morning, start with five minutes, go on to half an hour, one hour, two hours, three hours. And that's the time you can really hear God. If you truly hear God, you will know God speaking to you at times to do this and do that. So that, that is the key. So for me, how I have uh, learned to hear God, my experience is spending time on my knees.
2: So if you the issue of healing as power, then when you're filling out those forms for the denomination, you can put more things in for healings in your church. You can just say, well, power went out. I don't know. I don't, did healings happen? Well, I felt power. Well, we can check something off there. So there we go. Um, I- another question on this, how do you make uh, churches or any environment safe for sick people? Uh, in that sense, and I was even thinking, a- Andy, on this one, where, you know, they don't want to come back because people keep praying for them to be healed. And seriously, in that sense, because you want to have an environment of healing, environment of people being prayed for, but not an environment where they're afraid to come back because people keep praying for them. So maybe, Andy, you could start us off on that. How can an environment be safe?
4: Thank you. Thank you, Doug. I'm going to sit down for this one. <laughs> for a minute. Um, I don't think we do a good job of making our environment safe for, uh, how do I say it? Uh, we, I, I, lo- I lo- love Donald McGavern and, and Peter Wagner for what they did and what they meant by church growth and discipleship. But we twisted it into how can we grow our f- church fast? And we have a Saddleback Sam or a whatever, whatever in your town and it's the perfect person to come to your church and give and support and serve, where is the space for somebody with autism or somebody with uh, a cognitive disability where they're in the chair grunting because the sermon uh, stirred something in their heart? Where is the space for the homeless? Where is the space for the broken... so I, I will go way back before I get to the safe for the sick. But I, I'll reference the article I mentioned, Stop Trying to Heal Me. I'm not, I'm not saying that personally. You can keep trying to heal me. But, but I believe <laughs> I believe in Jesus, the healer. But this, this journalist was not a Christian. And he's wandering around London, not wandering, but going around London on the underground, a blind journalist, and people come up to him. And I relate it. I'm reading. I'm relating this I'm in the downtown Chicago, or in Pasadena, all over the place. People will randomly come up and say, "Can I pray for you to be healed?" And as a Christian who believes in healing, sure. But then I related to his experience, because then they leave. They wanted nothing different than hit and run evangelism. Which, 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 which. Okay. So, um, right. but, but how does it save?
5: I. I I would like to say, too, that we do great with short-term problems or with people who are healed. But anybody who has something chronic, we want to pretend that it doesn't exist. Let's talk about grief. Somebody who is grieving. After a month, we're like, okay, come on, let's be better now. And we need to put systems in place and have compassion for the people who struggle long-term, not just one and done, but to be there for them and to provide ministries in our church. And I can give you, you know, talk to me after. I've got lots of ideas on that. But we need to find ways to make space for people who struggle with things that are chronic.
2: Uh, Especially people dealing with sexual or physical abuse who have dissociated and they're facing healing where things are beginning to rise up. Uh, In church, things will start rising up and they need the altar to be a safe place where they can, emotionally express themselves and not to have those things prayed out or cast out but actually a safe place where they can just be in god's presence and some churches try to pray that out and cast it out when they need to have season after season after season where they can be safe in the presence of god for god just to minister to them instead of feel like they're being attacked by satan and casting it out and then a safe place should be a place where healing and integration can occur when someone is dissociated so anyway uh let's do this here's a good scholarly question Uh, is weakness present in the eschaton and within the resurrected body. Who
0: wants to? Now you all (laughs) look. Look at that. There we go. Andy said something that I guess I've wrestled with a little bit but kind of dismissed quickly. He said, how could the resurrected Jesus still have Scars. And and more than just scars, he said, put your hand in holes. So there's something of perfection that also carries with it the imperfections or the violations of this life. And yet the perfect Christ shows the scars of his death and resurrection. So I don't think that means you're going to be blind in heaven, uh, Andy. But I I think there's something of of that that I don't know that we have the answer, but at the very least we should all go, hmm, and let it digest deeply into our souls that our understanding of perfection may not be the same as God's understanding of perfection. Uh, In response to the the previous question, I did want to say this. How do we give a safe place? And that is, it's my understanding of Jesus that on only a few occasions did he go up to someone unsolicited. Almost in all the occasions, like 95% or more of the occasions, they came to him. And maybe when we try to force healing on people, it becomes unsafe. As opposed to saying we believe in healing and allowing people by their own faith to come to us where we stand with them as brothers and sisters and realize that I don't have the power, he has the power. And if they ever failed to heal, it didn't, Jesus didn't fail to heal. So maybe instead of casting on them, what's wrong with your faith? I need to be, ca- I need to be casting on myself. What's wrong with my own empowerment? Maybe I should be apologizing to them to say, pray with me, that I can press into the Lord greater to have the power necessary to reach out and to release his healing to you. It might change the conversation and make it more safe.
2: (laughs) Um, And the fact that also Jesus ate after the resurrection might say something, that there's some form of weakness in our bodies that yeah. we don't quite understand that we still need to replenish something. Or maybe we just like to eat. And <laughs> Amen. For that. <laughs> yes. This, uh, so here's a, a couple quick ones. Andy, they asked if your paper will be published, the stuff you're working on. Your yeah, his dissertation. So bug Andy on that. His dissertation will be. Um, where do you see the laying on of hands besides
0: the Gospels? and acts Somebody have that the I do And and uh, the laying on of hands is found throughout the entire scripture um, it's it's in the Old Testament not very often the interesting thing is is it it sings if you do a, a, a comprehensive study of touch for healing throughout all of recorded literature it seems to have been something initiated by Jesus Believe it or not, there is a couple occasions of, of healing. There was a different type of, of laying on of hands for commissioning, where the power was commissioned, but not for healing. Then after Jesus is in, I'm fading in and out here, um, it is in the in, in the epistles, just not as much. Uh, but there are there are hints of it. And and the sense of God power and, and praying is found. And off the top of my head, I'm not going to try to quote everything. But talk to me afterwards, and I can resource you uh, with my dissertation where, I mean, it's comprehensive. We looked at everything. And the best I can understand the laying on of hands is it's an efficacious symbol. Fancy word for it's more than symbolic. It's something God works through symbolically that actually transmits his presence and his power that heals people. how do we
2: contend for the release of the Holy Spirit's power? What does contending look like? I guess in that sense, the release of the healing power, how do we contend? You won't?
3: to contend to release the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, again, it comes to uh, you being very close to uh, the Lord Jesus and to be uh, moving in his presence, to be filled to overflow. Uh, So the more and more that you are filled, then that's the time that you can overflow. So if you don't fill yourself, you can't overflow, and that's the basic answer.
2: Acts, that Jesus said, wait so you're clothed with power from on high uh, so you can be witnesses. And we use that as a missionary passage, right, to go witness. But he says, I want you to witness me. I want you to see me before you do anything. I want you to witness me in Jerusalem. I want you to witness me in Judea when you're scattered. And that we need to witness Jesus before we have the power to go out and do things, right? And so we see that when the deacons are formed, right, they're, they're formed because the Basically, the disciples are saying, we're not having time to daily witness Jesus. We need to actually see Jesus so that we can do what? We can preach. Because they say we need time to pray and to preach. Why practically? Because we need to pray in order to witness Jesus so that we now have that authority and power to be able to do the ministry, which is the preaching and the healing and those sorts of things. And when was all the distribution of the food and all those fights and everything? That was during, you know, breakfast and dinner in the middle of time. And when were they actually praying? They're praying in the morning and in the evening, in the middle of the day in the temple. So that was competing with their time to pray and to witness Jesus and to contend for that power. So at a practical level, if we're not witnessing Jesus, there's no way for that power. There's no way for it to hear Jesus and to minister in that authority. So at a practical level, as you were mentioning, although you said two or three hours, I was like, Doug, get on your knees. I'm like... 30 minutes maybe, so i got a ways to go.
4: Can I, can I add to that? Uh, the, the clothed in power at the end of Luke, the transition between Luke and Acts, uh, it's a fascinating metaphor that I heard a paper a couple years ago at the Society for Pentecostal Studies by a, a Burmese guy, sco- Assembly God scholar who studied in, in Korea. He did this paper where he traced the metaphor of k- being clothed from who are the first people that were clothed, right? When <laughs> so the clothing of God, because God clothed them. Then and, and, and throughout the Old Testament, leading on this trajectory to the end of Luke, to be clothed with power from on high. Now think about, think about this one story that we love to talk about, David and Goliath. And Malcolm Gladwell will tell you that we don't really like David as much as we like Goliath, because we like to cheer for Duke or the Yankees or the Cowboys. <laughs> we don't cheer for Go- David as much as we cheer, f- as we say we do, even though we as Americans love the story of anyway. So, um, but but David went to fight Goliath, and he tried on the armor of Saul, right? And he he mentions it. He was clothed with it, the word clothed twice. He's clothed with the helmet, he's clothed with the armor, and he says it doesn't fit what in the world do you think he did wear? He wore the power of God that was with him. They just told Saul the king, he says, "I have fought bears and lions what well, that's that's what he was clothed with his experience, his intimacy, his life with God
2: um someone gave this question about humanness and brokenness and from the back here and I can't read it all, it was in tiny writing and I wanted you to be able to, can you just explain it because it's I, I'm completely anointed but I need reading glasses so here you go. Uh, so as I was listening to um, particularly Becca and Andy as you two shared, um, it felt like there was a little bit of, of a nuanced difference between even how you were viewing humanity and Andy it sounded like there was a little bit more space in what you were sharing for the possibility of inherent value in humanity. And, Becca, you were describing almost like an inherent disability that we have um, in the need of God. And I was just curious if, if um, you guys could, I don't want to want to pitch you against each other, but maybe expound upon um, the nuancedness of the inherent value or inherent disability within humanity. And that is the purpose of academia and s- scholarly discussions, right? To be able to have a safe environment to discuss this.
5: Well, just to clarify, I would not say that there is no inherent value in humanity. I think that, you know, God calls us his own, and he has made it clear throughout scripture. He loves us right where we're at and, and as we are. And I think our disability is a value. It, it creates in us, you know, our, our, our lack of ability to do things without God, it creates in us that need. But we are so, he, he created us. To, to do things you know when God said that he rested on that, he gave creation over to Adam and Eve and he said okay now it is yours to, to do the work and to tend the gardens and so he, he has value in us um, he just doesn't want us to try to do this life apart from him
4: mm. I would say th- well, am I on uh, Something inherently valuable in humanness. Uh, A friend of mine who works for the Center of Bioethics and Human Dignity that's housed on the campus where I live, he's writing a a paper that's going to be presented next month on what does it mean to be a a good life. And in the first two chapters of the thing we call the Bible, there's, it was good, it was good, it was good. And, And then we have this good or evil polarity but there's one place where God says it was not good. Um, And I think there's something inherent in our humanity that we in the so-called West have lost in our rugged individualism. God created us, man and woman, in his image. Not me, myself, and I to go and do something powerful, but he created us. And so sometimes disability, humanness, Christ was crucified in weakness, and I will argue that his humanity, that he took on humanity in all of its form and then took on our sin, even though he did not sin, but he was crucified in weakness. But, but there is something that is, uh, I don't have the right word for it, but disability, if you want to use that word, or humanist, because I'm not as strong as the next person. There's something relative about humanity that we no one is more able or less able than the next person because it's all relative but we inherently need one another to fulfill the body. And Paul says in First Corinthians 12, the, the members who seem weaker, seem weaker to who? Seem weaker to who? I, I'll, I'll jump into sociology, but Paul wasn't a sociologist, but seem weaker to who? Well, somebody, probably to the church. And if we're going to be the whole church, taking the whole gospel to the whole world, we need the members who seem weaker to be to actually be what Paul says indispensable. So there is something inherently valuable that Paul br- brings out.
2: I want to give opportunity. Just you want to just say your question was it yours? No, it was, my was yours? Question. You want to say it? I'm going to let some other people than me talk here. Okay. So. Um,
4: got? so. The question that I wanted to to ask is, when we wrestle with. Um, the balance between Mark 6 where Jesus isn't able to do a work and then Matthew 17 where Jesus blames the lack of faith for the inability for the work. How, how do we increase our faith for God to answer in a supernatural way if we as a church embrace the lack of a supernatural answer?
2: You just preach on one
0: passage and not the other. Just <laughs> It, it seems to me that the reason that Jesus couldn't do many healings is I've looked at those passages trying to wrestle. I don't think it was Jesus didn't have the power. I think that Jesus didn't force healing on anyone. And so they're all like, Jesus, I'm not going to let him heal me. I don't think anyone came up except somewhere along the way. I think it, maybe as he was walking, he says he saw a few people he laid his hands on. Maybe he said, can I pray for you? And a couple of them said yes, and the rest of them said no way. So I think it was that they wouldn't even engage him. And there are times that people don't ask. Uh, A few years ago, um, I was an interim pastor in a church and a woman came up. We had a prayer line. A lot of people came up and different people were praying. And I walked up to this one lady and I said, what can I pray for you for? And she says, my finances. I'm having trouble with my finances. She's in a wheelchair and had been in this wheelchair for seven years. And God spoke to me and said, pray for her feet. So I prayed for her finances. Without saying a word, I just knelt down, laid my hands on her legs, and just said, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ, and then moved on. Just left it there. I didn't want to put pressure on her. And she left in her wheelchair. The next morning, she woke up real early, had to go to the bathroom, got up and went to the bathroom. And then when she was done, she realized that she was so groggy she'd forgotten to get into her wheelchair. And she was trying to figure out how she was going to get back because her wheelchair was over there. And then she thought, how did I get here? And realized that God had healed her in her wheelchair sitting in church and she didn't even have the faith to try to stand up. And only when she was so groggy, she wasn't awake. And the next Sunday morning, she comes walking in and everybody just stops and starts cheering because no one had known she was healed. She didn't know she was healed. So where's this balance of safe? Where's this balance of of faith? Where's this balance where sometimes we don't even reach out when he wants to heal, while other people are crying out desperately and God's like either saying, not yet or I'm strong with who you are.
2: Isn't that true that uh, healing testifies to the resurrected life we have, but also living with sickness testifies to the fact that God is enough when each of us reach our last breath. And we need both of those testimonies, right? That we're all going to get sick and we're going to have our last breath. And we need the presence of God to take us to this next life. But we also need to know that we have resurrected life and the life to come. And so God heals us and restores us. And we live with those different testimonies. Uh, who, who's next? Yes, you can.
4: Okay. I have, uh, <coughs> my wife can tell you, I've been uh, <coughs> over years, uh, had people say, I need to have more faith. They said, Jesus, never met somebody that he didn't heal because the Bible t- doesn't say Jesus prayed for somebody that didn't get healed, right? So we can make it a theology because of everything we see in Scripture, but we didn't see Jesus, you know, in John 5, he healed a guy, and there was a whole bunch of other people that he didn't. So we make a theology that Jesus healed everybody that he prayed for when the Bible has people that w- didn't get healed, that Jesus walked by. We have the history from the early church, that, but but I've had people... For a long time, not a lot of people, but some. And those are the ones that sit in my heart. Well, maybe I don't have enough faith. At the same time, other people say, well, you've got a lot of faith. I don't know if I have a lot or a little, but I know what I feel like when people say I should have more faith. And it's, it's taken probably until about a year ago, maybe less, when I finally could say to somebody, I have faith, you have more faith. <laughs> because I was sick and tired of pastors People that have seen healing, powerful wor- men of God, say to me, have more faith. I don't know how much faith I have or if I can have any more faith. But I don't think there's a requirement for the dead person to have faith when they're raised from the dead.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I, I have said that, you know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And one of the things that I've noticed, too, is when, you know, when people come and pray for me for a headache, you know, they, they lay their hands on me. And often they'll press on my shunt, which makes things worse. And then they'll say, so how you doing now? And I'm like, worse. <laughs> and I think that pressure to, exp- you know, I mean, there, there's the belief for healing, but I love what Clayton did where he just prayed and said, be healed, and left it at that, and let them be the ones to proclaim the healing. How how many times in scripture did Jesus proclaim the healing over someone after they'd been healed?
2: All right, we got one more quick question. I know some of you had once here too. The big thing, if you came in late, is to get involved with, actually, can you I, I want to make sure with the with the fellowship. Can you give a little bit of an announcement? Okay, how to get involved? Okay, last question. Got a quick one. Anybody here? Oh, I do that. You just that's, that's how you're gonna. Let me just say it so it's on the mic. That James five says that the possibility people will get sick in the body. If there's any sick among you, call the elders of the church.
0: Well, why don't we just unpack James five? What that issue? When I took my Ph.D., I had to become Greek, and that was the passage. My my professor died of colon cancer like a couple weeks after my graduation. And that was the passage he had me translate for him in Greek. And I said, if someone is sick, and he said, I'm sorry, let's do that again. And I said, if someone is sick, he said, you're quoting scripture. He says, you need to be reading Greek. And the Greek says, when someone is sick. Wow. And, and we, we, we translate that a little bit differently, that sickness is a part of the human condition. The, the other thing is that sometimes we take scripture and, and, and this is what all of us, hopefully, in our growing scholarship, we need to, to, to use scripture carefully. We need to ask the question, what is the difference? Why is sometimes laying on hands? Here it's called for the elders in the oil. We pull them all up equally, and we don't ask for context. I would argue that James, when he was writing, he was writing to uh, the, the churches that were scattered in dispersion. He's probably writing not to the mega churches with all the apostles and the great healers. He's writing to small community house churches, maybe a dozen people. And they're trying to survive. And they don't have even what would rise to what we would call a pastor. They just have the, the elders, the, the more mature people have been anointed in their congregation. And so in an environment where it would seem we don't have what's necessary, we don't have the, the people with the gifts of healing, we don't have the apostles, we don't have all the things that would, would make this a healing ministry. And someone's sick. Do we say, I'm sorry, you have to go find a great healer? says, in that environment, when even the pieces aren't there, Call the elders of the church, anoint with oil, which is representative of the Holy Spirit, and the prayer of faith will raise them up. So no matter what the Christian community is, if they have the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, you shall receive... Power And so no matter if we stop looking to celebrities and realize whatever power that we need has already been inherently given to us in the Holy Spirit and in a community of faith that's filled with the Holy Spirit is all that's necessary to heal, regardless of what the, the situation is, the power of God is present to do that. Now, what we need to do is cultivate that power by seeking the Holy Spirit. The only thing that we can really do to make something more is to Seek the Holy Spirit more to seek more for his empowerment the the balance of this with Jesus says, the re, uh, and, and maybe to what Andy said, someone said no one, Jesus never failed. Jesus also said, I only do what I see the father doing. And I only speak what I hear the father saying. Maybe Jesus knew who to pray for and who not to pray for because he had cultivated the time in prayer and so he could look at people and say, I see God healing this person, healed that person or walked on and not have an expectation he was going to heal everybody else in that environment because he knew exactly what God was doing and did it. And if we could cultivate that presence of God in us so we were more aware of what God was doing, we would be more effective. And I want to close with this early in my ministry, we were contending for healing and we were praying. And the harder we prayed, the sicker people got. So we prayed even harder and the harder we prayed, the people who were on the prayer team were getting sick. It was awful. And I was I was ready to just quit. And I was crying out to God saying, God, this isn't working. And one Sunday, we were in the middle of worship and God spoke to me and I just walked up and I said, you know, if if anyone needs prayer this morning, middle of worship, like 10 minutes in, would you come up? And I thought maybe one or two people would come up simultaneously without any reference whatsoever, all but four people in the congregation. We were running about 60 people at that point. Everybody stood up and came to the altar and knelt down. And I was like, "Okay, I've never seen this happen before. And I walked over to the first person and I said, "What well, can I pray for you?" And he said, and "He confessed this big, dark sexual sin." And I was like, "Ooh, okay." And I prayed for him quick. And I went to the person, second person. They confessed a really dark sin. And I went to the third person, and they confessed a dark sin. And I said, "What just happened here?" Which I didn't. I didn't set any of this. The Holy Spirit suddenly, unsolicitedly, fell upon a room that caused people to begin to divulge to the Lord the darkness that was in them, which was probably what was holding back their faith and holding back God's power. I got to about the fourth or fifth person, and it was an elderly woman in her 80s. And she said, I've been praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for 28 years. And I remember thinking to myself, honey, I with all these people, we're still just starting the service. I don't have time to take for you now. So I just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, receive the Holy Spirit and moved on. I figured that's all she deserved. <laughs> I heard the scream and I looked over both hands up. She's speaking in tongues at the top of her voice. And I remember saying, what just happened? That morning, as we as we prayed for everyone that morning, we had 13 people who are who were miraculously and instantaneously healed. On weeks we'd contended for healing, we had nothing. On a week we were doing nothing, and I can't even say I prayed up really good that week. On the week we had had, had contended nothing, the week that God showed up, something changed. My my mom was saved in Angela's temple with, with my grandmother under Amy Simple McPherson. And I asked my mom just before she died, what was it like to sit under Amy? And I've never forgotten her answer. She said we'd be in the church service, and it'd be a great church service like any other church service. And 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 the church was running 13 services. Angela's temple packed. 13 services. It was just ridiculous. Seven on one day. So many. I mean, and so between services, she would lay down and rest to just have the energy. And about halfway through worship, she would come in. And She said it would be in the middle of worship and everything, just a great church service. And all of a sudden you'd feel the power of God come into the room, just like like the, the power of God would come into the room. And instantaneously, you'd watch every eye in the room look up and Amy had just walked in the door. And she'd walk in and she said, you went from just a great worship service to something unbelievable where as God came into the room through the presence of what he had infilled her life, and as she began to speak, miracles began to take place, and salvations took place, and she said, from then on, you knew God was present. And ever since then, I've been thinking, like, God, what would it take for even a little touch of that? I, it, to me, it's, a, it's like when Jesus walked into the environment. It wasn't all these issues of faith. Jesus walked into the environment, and the power of God came. And what is holding us back? From having that kind of the sense of the presence of God so powerful in our lives. And in our environments that that you can't hold it back instead of fighting what's wrong, you can't hold back what God is doing. So, well, those are some simple reflections and, and, and we deliberately chose a balance of not just raw rah healings. But the balance, because that's what we all wrestle with in the real world of what God is doing and what God and we struggle. And sometimes he heals slowly. Sometimes healing is something we contend for. And sometimes he just does the impossible miraculous. But may we never become jaded because of what someone else failed to do. May we always contend for what his biblical word says and challenges us to and that's what it means to be a believer and a leader and I hope a scholar under Jesus Christ we'd love to have you join our group um, fourscorescholars.org. if you didn't fill out our information sheet please do before you leave Um, feel like if you'd like to join our group here's an application and you know what If if you would like to one of our journals on women in ministry leadership I got a few here God bless